The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. So now let's read Galatians chapter 1, the passage assigned to us this morning. Galatians 1, 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, you see the difference. Don't pass judgment on one another. Let him be accursed from the same apostle. Even if we preach another gospel, let us be accursed. If I do this, let me be accursed. Quite a difference. This is obviously a very hard passage and not the kind of thing that one gravitates to. Um, I know that sometimes uh, people in our circles have a reputation for judgment, you know, being judgmental and harsh, I've never found that to be uh, generally true. I think you can find those uh, spirits in any communion. And I can just assure you that this is not a passage that I gravitated to, and I will have words with young Dr. Kim. (laughs) Not really. Somebody's got to do it. But there are two hard things here that we have to hear. Me as well. I have to hear this. This is the thing about preaching through a book of the Scripture. You're forced to deal with texts that you don't gravitate to. And you have to be instructed by them. I am instructed by this passage. But there are obviously two things that are very serious here. Apostasy and this business of divine condemnation for those who would teach and lead people into apostasy by proclaiming a different gospel. So let's look at our Galatians passage a little more carefully with those two things in mind. First, the apostasy. Now, I'd like to read to you from the Westminster Confession. I think it's very important to uh, see that these things have been grappled with before. You know, one of the things about apostasy that we hold to in Reformed circles is that these are not people who have been elect and then lost their election. In our understanding of scripture, regeneration is irreversible in particular. And regeneration has its origin in the effectual call of God. This is why we don't talk about this simply as the call of God. It's the effectual call, which is another way of saying the effective call. The call that actually works in us the ability to respond to the call by bringing us into new life. That's actually uh, elucidated in 
the Westminster Confession, Chapter 10, Section 1, but I'd like you to just read a sentence from Section 4. Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit, yet they never truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. You see, that's what we mean by apostates. If you've never used, used that term or heard that term or understood, understood how we're using it, that's what we mean. People who are in the church, people who have responded positively to the gospel call and have a common operation of the Holy Spirit evidenced in their life. And they, by saying common operation, it's differentiated from saving operation. If you have the saving operation of the Spirit in your life, you cannot lose your salvation. It is irreversible. It's impossible to separate you from God. But not everyone in the church has that experience. And it is part of our duty as ministers of the gospel to look at our congregations as potentially having sheep and goats and calling the goats as well to saving faith because we don't know if they cannot be saved. There are many who have a slow operation of the Spirit in their life and come to faith gradually over time. You don't make that judgment. Whether someone has a saving operation or not, you go by their profession of faith. Now what's interesting is Paul works that way here. You see, part of what he's dealing is he's addressing people in Galatia who uh, he knows have received Christ. See, that's what he says in verse 9. And we have said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. You see, they received the gospel and therefore received Christ, he earlier calls it the gospel of Christ. He also says in chapter 3, you received the spirit. You see, there is an evidencing of the spirits working in their life. But it may or may not be saving. He can't make that judgment now. Because their profession of faith is waning because they're ready to abandon Christ for another gospel. And then 5, 7, you were running well. You see, he assumes that this is, these people are, have made a credible profession of faith. That's our terminology to summarize what we're looking at here. And then finally, and this is probably the most surprising to many of us, uh, they suffered for the sake of the gospel. And this is part of the puzzling, deeply troubling character of apostasy. These are, people, these are brothers and sisters that you've lived with and suffered with in the gospel. How can they do this? This is part of why Paul is so exercised here. He's so emotional. He's so troubled. Uh, and, and yet, you see, he says, verse 6, you are so quickly deserting him. You see, it's not just deserting the gospel as a concept. It's deserting Christ. If you, if you accept a different gospel than that in the scriptures taught by the apostle, it's, a, it's not 
leading you to Christ is taking away from him. He says it himself. I could wish that I were anathema from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He used that same word rendered uh, accursed here. And and what it means is you're, you're separated from Christ. This is a very serious issue. This is what makes it different from what he's saying in Romans. In Romans, he's saying, among us, there are people with different convictions on opinions that don't go to the core of the faith here. That's the difference. In Romans and other places, there are places where we just have different understandings, we grow together, and we're patient with one another, we're understanding, and we don't judge one another. We don't condemn each other for where we're at in our understanding and Christian walk. Paul insists on that. And he says, it's not for you to do that. It's not, he, he, this is not your servant to condemn when you have a brother who has some understanding of uh, church practice or some, uh, you know, in, in that day it was eating meat, you know, because there's all this connection with idolatry. He deals with all that very carefully and says, we have to deal with one another gently and in love. Don't condemn one another. But here, it's a different issue. There is one issue where you have to be perfectly clear and it is whether you are involved with, an, with a teaching which leads away from Christ or not. And if you are, avoid it like the plague. That's what he says. Now, you know, when you look at this verse 6, there are actually two ways to read this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Many, peop- many of our versions render it that way. That's a process that's going on now. The other way, though, which I, I personally prefer is to take it as something attempted. They are attempting to desert. You see, Paul is giving them the benefit of the doubt. He's still treating them as those who are in the faith, but they're teetering on the edge. He's saying you're, you're, you're in the process, or better, you're, you're trying to desert him who called you. Because in the end of the day, if you belong to him, you can't desert. He will hold you. Christ says that he holds uh, the ones who come to him in true faith in his own hand, and he will not let go of you, and no one can take you out of his hand. This is not a passage that leads to complete insecurity of faith. But if you believe in Christ and the true gospel, there's no reason for insecurity here. Unless, of course, you're tempted to betray him for another gospel. And brothers and sisters, I think that's why you're here. You're, you're here to study the scripture and to be immersed in the gospel. It certainly is our passion. And I'm not going to end our time today without reminding you of the gospel. But this is a real issue. Apostasy is still here today. You will deal with it. And it is as disturbing as anything you will ever experience in your life to deal with this. Whether, as you, whether you are a member of a congregation where this happens or uh, an officer of the church. It is, it is life upsetting to see this happen. But there's, you know, 
this other thing in the background that's, that's even more scary. Let him be anathema. Let him be under a curse. You see, this uh, is a very interesting word. He says it twice. I mean, as you know, I say this all the time. You see something twice in a text, it's obviously emphatic. I mean, <laughs> even I can see that, you know, it's emphatic. I'll say it again, in case you didn't hear me, let him be anathema. I mean, obviously, this is, this is uh, something you have to pay attention to. Now, later on in chapter 3, he uses the word curse. And he talks about Christ coming into a curse. This is actually connected, even though he uses a different word. We're going to come back to that. But here he uses the word anathema. appears five times in the New Testament. But it appears a lot in the Old Testament for the word that's rendered under the ban. Now, you know, when you read that, it's something under the ban. Sometimes the mildness of that term is misleading. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 7 so you can get a feel for what this is all about. Deuteronomy 7. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves lest you be ensnared by it for it is an abomination to the Lord your God and you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction. You like it, and you shall, let me read that again. You shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. It's actually the same phrase as Paul uses. It shall be anathema in in the Greek translation. And there's really no difference between the Greek and the Hebrew here. It will be anathema. You see, Paul is not really calling down God's judgment in Galatians 1. Let it be anathema. He's really saying that's what it is. It's something abominable to God. And those things don't change over time through cultures. Something abominable to God is he has the deepest abhorrence of it. Brothers and sisters, we sang that. The Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood and shall from age to age endure. His mercy extends from age to age, but also his fidelity to himself. Something abominable to him back then is still abominable. And one thing that's abominable is is pagan idolatry. And Paul says in Galatians 1, if you turn over the gospel of Christ and desert it, it's, it's in essence something abominable to God and it will be anathema before him. You should flee it like a briefcase full of a nuclear weapon And if you cough or sneeze or hiccup, it's going to blow up. That's what this is like. You should avoid it as if your life depends on it, because it does. You will fall under the eternal condemnation of God if you teach a different gospel and pervert it, as Paul says here. 
what the text says. You know why? Because there's someone who took that curse upon himself and became an abominable thing on your behalf. You cannot give him up. And, and imagine that in some performance of your own actions, some imagination of your mind and philosophical maneuverings will grant you access to God eternally apart from him. It's the gospel. It's a good news. You see, this is a passage about the good news, how sacred it is. We live in a time when people say you've got to be sensitive. Frankly, I think sensitivity is a code word, don't you? I want you to think about that next time you hear the word sensitive. It's on television, it's in the newspapers, it's on the radio, it's everywhere. Insensitivity is wrong. Paul's being insensitive here, right? According to the world. Secondly, sensitivity is the one chief virtue of human beings. You could even say, what is the chief end of man? Sensitivity, (laughs) right? But what does sensitivity mean in our culture? It means accommodating to a uh, view that all truth is relative. And you really have to be tolerant, which is another code word for Except as truth, what I think is true, <laughs> often. Now, sometimes, you know, people say true things, and you can accept that. You should be sensitive in some ways. But on the issue of the gospel, or not, it's not a matter of sensitivity or allowing different views. There are, there's one issue where you just cannot do that, and you should stake your life on it, and that is... Preach the true gospel. Hold to it as if your life depends on it, because it does. And the alternative is too horrible to even mention any more this morning with you. So, I've given you the text. But I have also, I hope, shown you that there's no reason for you, if you have a sensitive conscience, to think that somehow you fall under this if you are sincerely trying to follow Christ. Hold fast to Christ, Paul would say. He is our, he's our escape from the curse of God. For it's what he says in chapter 3. It's worth reading. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He became a curse that we might inherit nothing but blessing from God. Hold fast to him forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God in heaven, there are fearful words in scripture and certainly none more fearful than than this one that we've been dealing with today. We are well instructed from your scripture to be careful with our speech, to be very careful in our handling of your word. We know, O Lord, though, that you are good and your mercy is Alas, forever. We pray for those brothers and sisters, maybe even here, who are wavering in their faith, tempted to follow some other gospel. Turn them speedily, O Lord, 
back to Christ. May all here know nothing but your smile and your favor and your gentleness and your mercy forever. May you, O Lord, give us seasoned words with grace, but clarity on the gospel that we may bring the good news to those we know. We pray this in Christ's name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.